and welcome back to our series of podcasts from Seven Vineyard called Encounters with God, where we are looking at characters in the Old Testament, finding out how they've met with God and what's what's that all about? How can we even understand it? And what's that got to do with us? And uh, my name's Bern Leckie. I'm joined by Jack Saunders today. Hi, Jack. Hi, Bern. Jack, uh, what's your role at Seven? So I am the assistant pastor uh, with kind of responsibilities looking after the youth and students at our church. Brilliant. And we enjoy when you come and also get find a bit of time to share your wisdom and your life story and your family story that always comes in when you're connecting what you're finding in the Bible with, with your life. On Sunday, you shared with us about a character called Joshua. Who is Joshua and, and how did he grab your attention? So Joshua is quite a key figure in uh, in the story of Israel. So kind of nearer, nearer the beginning of uh, the Old Testament. So Joshua was very most famous for being initially he was being he was an aide to to Moses he was kind of Moses's right hand man Moses seemed to take him with him wherever he went as his assistant but gradually he kind of grew in kind of stature and authority uh, he first appears in in Exodus in Exodus 17 and he's the general he just appears is named as the general kind of leading the battle against the Amalekites um, which you might you might know the story um, of Moses. Moses is on a mountain and he's interceding with God. And, and when he raises his hands higher, the Israelites are winning. When he drops his hands, um, they they start to lose. And so it, their friends Aaron and her hold hold his hands up high. And, and then Joshua then gets to lead the Israelites to victory. Um, but then you kind of see him progress. Um, he he gets to be there at some key moments with Moses's life and, and that we see throughout Exodus. And then he's named early on as who would be Moses' successor. And so when Moses dies, he gets to lead the Israelites to enter the promised land, which even Moses couldn't do. Mm. And um, yeah, and lead them successfully to the first kind of campaign of taking over the promised land. So he's an important historical guy. Um, he's, he's a leader. He's, he's the leader who's taking Israel into the promised land, basically. Um, tell us what, what sort of person do you think Joshua was like so what what sort of equipped him to be able to do that I think um one of the things I, I found when I was studying was he you seem to see a pattern of of like faithfulness so it starts off he has quite humble beginnings I suppose being someone's I don't know if anyone's ever had to be the job of someone's PA or assist someone at an event or it's often often a lot of getting coffees and doing <laughs> the jobs jobs that the really important person doesn't want to do and that that would have been his job for Moses perhaps protecting him, perhaps number one, um, but serving and carrying the bags, those sort of jobs. And so I'm reading into the text there, but kind of assuming he would have done a lot of not very glamorous jobs, and but he was faithful in what he did. Um, but he's also named, you don't, I don't, you don't see many instances in the scripture where he, he says no to God. He, he seems to be a man that's marked by being faithful. So he seems mm. to be quite a faithful man. And, and that's shown probably most obviously in, the story when him and Caleb and 10 other people are sent by Moses to explore the promised land and we're on quite a, quite a dangerous journey, but they get to, to spy out this land that God said is good. That's flowing with milk and honey and the, the thing they're waiting for. And so he spies it out. But whilst 10 of them come back with this report of fear, effectively, they, they see the challenge and they, they turn around in fear. Um, Joshua and Caleb have faith and they say, well, yeah, it is tough and they are strong and their cities are imposing, but but God can do it. 
So he, he seems to be a man of faith um, and, and says yes and has faith for some of these quite challenging situations. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm seeing in a lot of the stories we've looked at how faith and faithfulness kind of seem to have to go together. Um, we, I think reflecting on my, uh, my upbringing in a church school, um, I, seem, uh, I seem to have grown up with the idea that faith was quite a lot about uh, like a loads of ideas and things to have to believe in and, and things to have to agree to. Um, and then faithfulness to that was sort of expressed in the like very much in the religious side of things of like, well, you must therefore go to church at least once a week and you must go do this and say that and you know and even in the church service i went to that sort of church where there was lots of times where you had to stand up sit down kneel down turn around <laughs> bop it uh you know all, all, all that and and i guess once i got to being a teenager i reflected back on huh it, it, how important is all this like why why does any of this matter i just thought you made an interesting point of what how we how we define what faith and, and faithfulness is. I think yes. we fall yeah. into thinking faith is something that happens in our head. Whereas I think scripture defines, we see faith in actions. We think almost, um, yeah, faith is something that, that's almost cerebral, that, yeah, faith mm -hmm. is I believe the right things in my head. But actually, I think you know what you believe by what your actions show. And then you see that in James where it says, show me your faith by your deeds. Like you say, you can say these things, but are you, are you living them out? So I've shown my faith by what I do. And so, but I think it, it works two ways. Like what we, what we have faith for, we, if we trust in something, we will put our faith in it. And if I trust the elevator to get me safely to the next floor, I'll stand in it rather than take the stairs. I can tell you, I believe in it, but until I put my faith into action and press the button and stand there trusting, it's not going to fall to the ground. It, it hasn't done anything. How do you know it's genuine? Um, but then the second thing with that is, the more times I get in an elevator, the more faith I have in it, the more almost the repertoire of things I, I build up. Um, mm. And I think, I think you see that in the characters in the Old Testament and in Joshua's life is you start with something small. So I might step out in faith in a small way and God's faithful. And you, you start to build up this library of, okay, he was faithful then. You know, he was faithful again. And he's faithful when I had that battle. So we're now facing a new battle. So actually, I think he's going to be faithful in this one, which is what I think we see in Joshua's life. So I think sometimes we think I need to grow in faith. It's about like gritting my teeth and just trying harder or yeah. have more of it or that all that God's going to drop like a faith bomb on us. And we'll wake up tomorrow morning and great, I'm more faithful. I'm all faithful. <laughs> like, well, God often might give, you might pray for more faith and he might give you the opportunity to trust him. He's not yes. going to necessarily spark something inside of you. I mean, there might be moments of encounter where he that does generate faith, but I think he gives us opportunities to grow in faith, and there's a partnership there between yeah. us and God. I want to just press into this this sort of what is faith and faithfulness for, and I love what you're saying that it's not just like a a thing to get us into church or get us into a religious system, but it's actually much more like a basis for life. And, and, and it's a whole of life thing. Is that, is that what I'm hearing you saying? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah. um, and I think we, in the secular world, we're tempted, to, we're tempted to be told that there are people who have faith and people who don't. And when it comes out in the language, we, 
that people use in our culture of, of people of faith or a man of faith or, mm. or, or even the term religious people. Whereas I would suggest that every worldview fundamentally requires a faith position, uh, whether you call yourself an atheist or, or not. Everyone has a faith in something. They're trusting in something for mm. all those key questions of purpose, meaning, morality, and destiny, like those big worldview questions. Everyone, everyone has a faith position. So everyone's trusting in something ultimately for, for those key questions of what it means to live a good life. Um, and so it's, what are you trusting in? And those, the answer to that question will change how you live. It will change how you do, how you do your finances or change how you live your life with your family, what, what you do do on a Sunday morning and, mm. and the rest of the week, it, it will, it will probably change everything. Um, so mm. the question is not, do I have faith? It's what's my faith actually in? Okay, so let's look at the options. What are the what, particularly maybe thinking about the 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 students and the sort of the the young adults that you're dealing with? Uh, I remember my my experience going to university is is an explosion almost in uh, like realizing oh well I've been living like this, but actually loads of other people have come from completely different directions and have faith in very different things. And hey, look, they're they're actually getting on you know quite quite well with their lives with very different beliefs from me um what 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 do you think are the sort of the the big things that that um that the students you deal with are, are trying to weigh up as sources of of you know where where to get their faith from it's a great question uh i think the answer is probably that there is that there is no one thing first of all i think it's um recognizing in our culture today that it's uh faith itself and that question of worldviews is a very contested space so like you said there's lots there's a plurality of options and actually that probably is the defining feature for perhaps students coming to university is the overriding message perhaps of our culture is you can be whatever you want to be it's almost a you talk about post-truth post-modernism um and it's this idea of the authentic self so that you can define who you are you can define your own reality and you need to look within yourself to find it. So I guess the question is, is for them is your, of ultimate meaning is who defines what it means to have a good life, who defines your spirituality, who defines your identity. And there's like something you can look within yourself to find, or there is some external authority. And naturally, I think our culture is rejecting a whole lot of external authority. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably where the gospel, the gospel comes in and perhaps in, in conflict, because it says there is an ultimate authority, there's an ultimate truth, mm-hmm. and it's found ultimately in Jesus. And it, and that's a, that's non-negotiable in that there's, there is one fixed truth. That's what Christians believe. Um, yeah. So, so I think it's probably that, that sense of, is there any, is there a thing as ultimate truth or because, because when you present the gospel, it it's, can be said, oh, that's, that's true for you, but it's not true for me. Mm-hmm. There's not a rejection of what I, I or the Christian students believe, but it's, it can be kept at arm's length because it's, it doesn't apply to everybody because we define mm-hmm. our own truth. Mm. Yes, I, I guess a lot of people would almost reject it out of hand, out of the expectation of what Christians will bring along to it. You know, I, I hear people talk about uh, you know the baggage that comes along with with a religious belief. Um, that you know, that it may be very inspiring for me, but but um, they don't want to consider it because of look at all this stuff that comes along with it. What stuff? Well. Uh, maybe unhealthy stuff, maybe maybe things that lead to us mistreating other people. Maybe the church hasn't got a 
brilliantly spotless record from its past uh if we're honest with ourselves but um but and but in spite of that i guess what is it that that glues you to the the certainty that it's god the god that we're reading about in the bible here that really does have authority and power yeah i guess so i guess i would start from that position that we all have faith in something uh we all have to answer questions of of origins and purpose and so if i examine the different worldviews and the different options i think i find from a big picture point of view not just taking from a christian point of view i find the evidence compelling that in some that there is a god that there is a creator of some sort so i start from like a big picture point of view you know i believe there is a god i believe there's a creator i i can't from the evidence and what to see logically in his arguments I, I can't avoid that so then i think well would that god reveal himself to us in some way and so the christian story's answer would, would obviously be through they believe it's inspired through the bible and then in terms of evidence starting off with okay is this is this book reliable and so if i'm just going to pick a book out of nowhere would i trust it and so i think the new testament particularly um the, the christian faith hinges around jesus and his death and resurrection and so again i think there's strong evidence that to start with historically the new testament is is a solid source so it's worth considering to start with um and it it's corroborated it's written most a lot of scholars may believe it should be written close to the lifetime of eyewitnesses at least if not by some eyewitnesses um so and then examine what those claims are. And the claims of Jesus are quite extraordinary. The claims of Jesus are that he is himself a son of God. And the only way to, to get to know that creator, which is either wrong or right. There, there can't be, he was either mad, C.S. Lewis said he was either mad, bad or God. He was either being quite malicious and tricking people. He was either completely out of his mind or he was who he said he was, that we don't, we aren't left with many other options. And um, again, I find the evidence compelling for the resurrection that um, if I take just that documentary evidence, the chances are he definitely did rise from the dead. But then if that is true, he's a God that can be encountered himself. And, and then what I have found in my own life is his encounters with that same Jesus um, in terms of answered prayer, him speaking directly to me, and then the evidence of him at work in the lives around me. Mm. And then I look at the worldview itself of Christianity, and I don't think there is another worldview that is as coherent to answer those main um, questions every worldview should answer. So in terms of where we come from, why, why do we have a moral compass and a sense of justice in the world? What is good and why is there good and evil? What is the solution to, to evil and to sin? Uh, and where are we going when we die? What's the purpose and meaning of life? I don't think uh, there's another worldview that has an, as, as coherent an answer as the Christian faith. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's a whole, that, that's a rich feast of, uh experience i think that you're drawing on um and i love how um so we started talking about joshua and uh but we're actually we've ended up kind of looking at jesus and i think that often happens actually in in conversations about faith and how how we know it's real I certainly like for me uh i could look through the old testament and go well from one angle these these guys look like heroes from another angle they look like villains to be perfectly yeah. honest you know if you were living in the land the promised land if you were a canaanite and and look here comes joshua he's not a hero of legend he's the guy who turfed you know he turfed everyone out of their houses and killed a bunch of people and uh, and uh, and it, it's almost tempt it is very tempting for me i guess yeah you know, to, to look at it and go well 
why should we be on one side or the other? Um, and my faith ends up not hinging on that as much as it hinges on Jesus. Yeah, I think I think that's it's something I didn't get to mention in my my talk from Sunday, but was that so the characters I'm looking at this in this series is is David and Joshua, and hmm. I know it's interesting when studying was that there's so many similarities. First of all, between Joshua and David's life, um, like both were like pioneering leaders in Israel. Both had quite a hard act to follow. Um, both had a massive weight of expectation. They both moved Israel onto like a new era, a new like stage of, of God's story. Both started in obscurity and just serving and faithfulness. Um, both had real foundations of intimacy before God. But what was most interesting was that both are, there's like a shadow, almost like a, a signpost that, that points to Jesus. And I think you see that in, in some of their Old Testament characters they kind of give us a flavor and a taste of who the savior, the Messiah was going to be. Mm. And Joshua's name, interesting enough, um, comes from the root word Yehoshua, which is, if you, anyone knows Jesus' name, Yeshua in Hebrew, it both means the same. God is deliverance. Um, mm. For the same root word. And, and so in that Joshua was a faithful leader who emerged to win a physical battle to lead God's people to a promised land, mm. like a land of rest, a land of freedom, and then kind of, but ultimately the reason God, I think if you look at the story, God took them out of Egypt. The first thing Moses says to Pharaoh is so my people can worship me. And so it's that the, the purpose ultimately is that God's people could come and, and worship. And because the implication is they can't worship in, in the environment of Egypt and that religious, political, military society they're part of, that's completely non-compatible with the lifestyle of worshiping Yahweh. And so he, I think he took them out to, to a place where they could live in communion and set up a system of worship and sacrifice to connect to Yahweh. Mm. Um, so it's Joshua, take, Joshua's part of taking them to the promised land and physically. And I think you see the, the image of, of Jesus as being this leader who comes to win a victory, to lead God's people to a place of freedom and connection with God. And, and that's a shadow. And, and I think you get these shadows in the Old mm. Testament. And mm. so, yeah, I think it's crucial to read the Old Testament through, through the lens of Jesus Mm. Um, and and there are some of those passages that are challenging. So um, so the story that Joshua is responsible for is, is quite an often a challenging one that people who aren't Christians would use as an example of why did, why did God command um, these people to be sent out of the land? But like I said, it depends what level you look at that. And so mm. when you look at what happened in Egypt in the ten plagues, you say, well, God God punished this, God caused these horrible things to happen. But it's within the context of, yes, but they were warned time and time and time again. Mm. And, and what's God trying to achieve? And so um, implication is that in Egypt is that it was Pharaoh's heart that was hardened towards God. He, he didn't mm. want to respond. He didn't want to submit. He didn't want to yield to the, the kingship of Yahweh um, over the Egyptian gods. And so I think the battle in Canaan is, is similar, is that Yahweh is proving himself to be more powerful than the Canaanite gods and mm. the rightful creator. Um and we could probably miss, and we don't know other things that go around the time, but that God was given an opportunity. And we do see images of a couple of some, um, Rahab perhaps being one of them, non, uh, non-Jewish people coming into God's family because they did submit to Yahweh. And there was this, always this opportunity and this purpose in, in God's call on Abraham's family to be a light to the world, that they would see, um, see what it's like to worship Yahweh and come and join that was his ultimate purpose was that the Gentiles would come in. Hmm. Um, but we, we obviously don't, don't see many examples of that, unfortunately, that, and the people of Israel were partly responsible, I think, for, for actually rejecting the outsiders when they should have been those that welcomed them in. 
Um, and it's, yeah, it's, I think it's seeing it through that lens of mm. Jesus' ultimate victory. And then also being very bold enough to talk about ultimate judgment. Um, so if we believe God is, is capable and the only one righteous to make a judgment on mankind and on people, are we willing to, to say uh, if there is such a God that is capable of making that judgment, that he's the one who knows when to bring that judgment, um, which is quite an uncomfortable thought for a lot of us as Westerners, but actually that's what the Christian world we says. We believe in a God who, who can and does judge when he sees fit. And it's, it's not our job as created beings to tell him how to do that. Yes. I see where you came from. I noticed in, in your talk, you said that part of the reason why you were going to talk about Joshua and David was that you had somehow been compared with them. Um, tell me about that. How's, how have people seen Joshua and David in you? I think I mentioned in a talk that it's sometimes people may have this, they may not, but that when they get prayed for um, in different settings, that often the same sort of words or pictures or Bible verses come up in different times. And for me, again, that's another encouragement that when separate people who don't know me or in different environments, different continents even, pick out the same same verses time and again, that, that's an encouragement that, well, there's as many characters they could pick. Why do they keep picking the, picking the same ones? And so, um, yeah, there's just been times when I've been prayed for and encouraged that people have shared scriptures that relate to, to Joshua and David. Um, I suppose analogies could be David, David was a worshiper who ended up as a leader, uh, person, a people of prayer, uh, young men of prayer, I suppose, who, who's seeking after God's heart, first of all, those people, they, they, they tend to come up quite often. Mm. Um, and that's always for me, the, the Joshua one particularly is in Joshua one where, where he's commanded to be strong and courageous and and then almost as a condition, there's this condition with it of, but stick to God's word. So there's mm. a promise of you're going to, you're going to take the land, you're going to do all that Moses promised, but to stick close to the, the word of God. This is, this is the path to lead to get to that, almost to that destination. Yes. Yes. So from everything you've said, today i'm i'm hearing in you that you are uh so wanting to lead people towards something and be faithful to a god that you have experienced too uh and it sounds like you're very aware as well that that other people may have objections to that or not want to whether it's from other ideas or just not wanting to be judged um what's your hope then that that as as you meet lots of brilliant young people and they, and find that they've got friends who believe all sorts of interesting different things and and maybe coming from a very different angle from you know tell me how god works i want to i want to know <laughs> what to do um what, what what's your what's your biggest hope that that of, of what god can do with you to to reach people effectively it's a great question um I think I, I believe, so our vision for, uh, we're trying to develop for our, our youth and students work is it's kind of based around that, that we believe every child, young person and, and student has a right to hear the gospel from somebody who believes it. I think, so it's not our job as Christians to force anyone to believe anything, but I actually think it, it's, I found it such a compelling and life-changing story to encounter, an encounter, real encounter with Jesus that I think people have the right to understand it. And I think it's a, it's a tragedy if people would reject, like you said before, people have these preconceived assumptions about Christianity, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a Christian and, and part of a church family, but they've never actually, have they actually seen it lived out in front of them? Have they understood it for what it's meant, for what the gospel really is and had a chance to respond? Uh, I think that's, that's unfair when they haven't actually had that explained, but all the chance to ask a Christian. And 
And they have the right, absolutely, to, to reject and to choose something else. God gives us that, that right and autonomy. But I think they should have a right to choose it. So what I, lo- I love finding out what people believe and why. And, but I find so many young people and students who've never really considered. They, they're, they're part of their life and almost absorb some of the worldviews around them, but never actually analysing them and, and considering them um, for what they're worth. And I often say to people, it's, it's like if, if I presented, if I found a lottery ticket on the floor or a, a lottery scratch card, and it, and it looked like it was a winning ticket and it was just a free text number, a genuinely free text number. You're like, would you text it to, to, for the chance of winning 500 grand for free? Would you just find out? So, well, yeah, you probably would. Or if it was online or something to check it, you, you would check. So, okay, well, the claims of Jesus, there are no greater claims, right or wrong, that could affect your life. Is it not worth for free just having some conversations with your friend who's a Christian to see what they believe. Because what if there's something in it that might change your life? And so I think my hope is that people would explore and, and investigate the claims of Jesus and who he was. And if at least they're going to reject him, they reject it fully knowing from a Christian wholeheartedly what and why they believe and, and have their full understanding. Um, but my dream and hope is that many, many would, would explore those claims and, and find life in them themselves for, and find Jesus. That would be my hope. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jack, for joining us and sharing about all that today. So next week, I'm going to be joined by Dan Green, who's talking about Joseph. And we're going to get our dream coats on and, and our dance routines. And we're going, ah, in all the right places. And um, hopefully see you then.